Welcome to Money Making Conversations. It's the show that shares the secrets of success experienced firsthand by marketing and branding expert Rashawn McDonald. I will know. He's given me advice on many occasions, and in case you didn't notice, I'm not broke. You know he'll be interviewing celebrities, CEOs, entrepreneurs, and industry decision makers. It's what he likes to do. It's what he likes to share. Now it's time to hear from my man, Rashawn McDonald. Money Making Conversations. Here we go. Welcome to Money Making Conversation. I'm your host, Rashawn McDonald. It's time to stop reading other people's success stories and really, and start writing your own. I tell you that every time you listen to this show or watch it. Now, you can be motivated by their success because their stories can offer you direction and help you reach your goals. But remember, it's their stories and it's their goals. Now, you have to start planning your story and your goals, and you're only going to get there through your committed effort. My interviews that I bring on Money Making Conversations... Uh, celebrities, CEOs, entrepreneurs, and industry decision makers. These are different types of people that you're meeting in this business, and these type of people influence the way we, from pop culture to sports to finances, are tied to those four categories that I deem important on Money Making Conversation. My next guest is Bevy Smith. She is an author, pop culture aficionado, fashion expert, and host of Bevelations on Sears XM's Radio Andy. Bevy just released her first book, Bevelations. Bevelations is her memoir about learning to live a big, authentic and unapologetic life and how you can do it too. Once a wildly successful luxury fashion pu- publication executive at Rolling Stone and Vibe magazine, she shifted. Now, I, have, I can relate to that because I did some shifting that we're going to discuss because a lot of things in her book I related to. And she shifted her professional goals over a decade ago to pursue a life in front of the camera. Bevy served as a moderator on Bravo TV's revolutionary talk show, Fashion Queens, and was a co-host on the nationally syndicated entertainment news program, Page Six TV. Please welcome the Money Making Conversation for the very first time, but not the last time, Miss Bevy Smith. How you doing? Hello, my love. I'm so happy to be here with you. Well, I, 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 I you know, like, I mean, we'll talk about the book, but it's a lot going on in your life, you know, and it's by design. I, I, I took it with my reading from the book that every move you made was not something that just kind of happened. It happened because you sought it out, you planned it, and, 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 and it worked to your favor. And that's what the book really is about, planning your destiny and choosing your path, correct? It is, it is. You know, I'm from Harlem, and so a lot of times when people hear my story, they, they say, oh my gosh, you're such a hustler. And I always tell them, I'm not a hustler, I'm a strategist. Mm-hmm. Because a hustler will do anything to make their money. You know, the end goal for them is always about the green, the money. Right. And for right. me, it's always about satisfaction, pride mm-hmm. in my work. Um, and I'm also not going to take things that don't resonate with me. I'm not going to ever take a job that just really doesn't connect with me. Right. Um, it's just not worth it. I've been offered a myriad of times to be a part of a reality TV right. uh, show <laughs> once or twice in my life. And um, I've always said no, because that just doesn't fit in. So, yeah, I do believe that it's important, it's imperative to have a plan for your life, to have a strategy for your life and not just allow things to just kind of happen. But while at the same time being open to the journey. Well, you know, the journey is really important that we want to talk about your book, Revelations. And you have Revelations in it, little, little uh, I call it little, little um statements of information that would allow you to move your life forward in a positive direction with planning. And that's what I took away from the book. And it's a long book now, but a good read because it talks about your life from childhood. It talks about your parents, talk about your older brother, your your, your sister who's a, a nerd, your older brother who's gay, and, uh, and your father who uh, worked at a copper refinery pack 
factory and your mom who was uh, cleaned homes, but didn't want to, like you said in the book, you know, let me not let you think your mama was working for, or like the people in the help. Your mama had fashion. Your mama had personality. And that's yes. where you got your personality from, from your mom, correct? Indeed. I got my, um, my fashion sensibility and my outgoing personality from my mom. My mom is still at this age of 93, one of the most fashionable people that I know. And um, it's been a great honor to be her daughter, along with my daddy, Gus Lee Smith. I say his name in every interview. So, um, yes, it's been an honor to be their daughter. Well, you know, I, I know that I, I was fortunate. Uh, I grew up in Fifth War, Texas. And this was just like a, the hood, as they would say, inner city in uh, Houston, Texas. And um, I had both my parents. My father was a truck driver. My mom was a high school, had received a high school education. Six sisters, two brothers. My family was a little bit bigger than yours. Yeah. But the family was important to me because it shaped me. And I felt that in reading in your book, you constantly talk about how your family shaped you. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. definitely. You know, um, my parents gave us a really incredible work ethic. They also, um, even though they were from Jim Crow South, right. they were not enamored by white people. Mm-hmm. They never felt like we needed to compare ourselves to white people to see our excellence. Mm-hmm. So I never got that traditional speech from that a lot of black people get, which is you have to be 10 times better than the white person mm-hmm. to get, you know, half as much. I never got that message in my home. And although I understand why many people give their kids that message, um, I'm so glad I didn't get that message because then when I went into all white um, environments for work, you know, everything I've ever done really has been primarily a white world. Advertising is incredibly white unless mm-hmm. you work in multicultural. Fashion is incredibly white, especially when you're talking about the luxury fashion category. Right. You know, TV is incredibly white. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I've always gone into these environments, but because I didn't have that hanging over my head that I needed to show white people that I was just as good, if mm-hmm. not better, um, I was able to go into experiences and just do my work and do the good work, which is how my parents raised us to do. And then for my sister, she was the one who gave me a lot of my um, black uh, kind of intelligentsia mm-hmm. information. She's the one who told me all about the Harlem Renaissance and and why the community that we were living in was so great. And it was a, it had such a legacy. And therefore, because I was living there and walking on the same streets as Baldwin, as Zora Neale Hurston, mm-hmm. as Langston Hughes, mm-hmm. as A. Philip Randolph, mm-hmm. Adam Clayton Powell Jr. I mean, the list goes on and on because I was walking on those same streets because I was attending schools that had their names on the building. I had a legacy as well and that I could be black excellence. And then my brother gave me my love of art. Um, my brother was, uh, as you mentioned, he's gay mm-hmm. and he gave me a passion about art, dance, like the creative arts just overall. Well, you know, the fun part about it, okay, you know, let's go astrology. I'm Pisces, you know, you Scorpio. Oh, Scorpio. Come on, you know, I know that. Come on. I, I wouldn't bring up Pisces if I didn't. Scorpio, you know, we romantic, you know, poetic. We have a sense of will together. You know, we can yes. be dating. Okay, well, happy almost birthday. When is your birthday? Uh, February 27th. Mm-hmm. Coming oh, up. Coming up. <laughs> yes. Happy birthday, my love. And then, and then I, I can I can respect. That's why I love this book. Okay, any book that quotes lyrics from Teddy Pendergrass, I'm telling <laughs> you, you, you my girl there, you my girl right there. Yeah. And the book was so much fun. It was so honest. It was so you know. Uh, when I say honest, because you willing to tell us when you made a mistake, you willing to open up about your personal life from your from your siblings to your parents to your lifestyle. At what point in the book do you went? 
wow, I am telling a lot. Did, did it ever cross your mind? You know, I felt that it was a really um, freeing experience to be able to tell my story in this way and to tell it in an authentic manner. Um, because, you know, Richard, I'm actually moving on. Right. You know, this is another chapter that I'm embarking upon. Mm -hmm. My book is literally my book, Revelations, Lessons mm -hmm. from a Mother, Auntie Bestie. There you go. It's a culmination of 15 years of work. Mm -hmm. When I left Rolling Stone magazine to now, and that's 15 years of attempting to be a part of this industry, be a television host, become a writer, and all those things. And I did it. And now I'm on to the next. And I knew that this book, if I was honest in this book, this book would actually be a catalyst for that change and for that next chapter in my life. So well, I had no, no hesitation about being very honest and authentic. No, I, let me share some things that I, I related to. Okay. Um, you know, uh, first of all, the name change, you know, Bevy's, my name is Rashawn publicly now. My, I'm a junior. My father's actual name is Russian McDonald. Mm. And so and it, it got to, I got to a point in my life where I, I needed to find my identity. What was my voice? Because I went through some of the same middle school and high school challenges you were through, trying to find your voice, maybe running with the wrong crowd and, and, and defining yourself. And so I remember I was in college when I changed my name. And so mm. when I left school in the spring, I, I was Russian. I came back to school in the fall. I was Rashawn and I was correcting people. I was saying, Hey, my name's Rashawn. And they, and then, of course, my everybody from high school, you ain't no Rashawn, you Russian, whatever. But you eventually gonna be saying Rashawn. I just tell them that all the time. I said, I said, you eventually gonna be saying Rashawn one day. Yes. And, yes. And, and that, and that, and I, I related to that because you know when you make a decision to say this is who I am, that's a powerful statement. And I yes. know because I experienced it. And then sometimes you people make you try to. Be, you know, try to browbeat you, try to bully you to sh and try to define who they think you are. And that's why the name change for you was very important. Tell us about that. Yeah. Um, and I love that story with Sean because it is very similar. I was um, at the height of my advertising fashion career. Mm -hmm. I was 33 years old. Mm -hmm. um, I had just arrived in Milan. I was surrounded by gifts from Gucci and Prada and, and <laughs> all the big Italian luxury brands. Uh -huh. I had, you know, just gotten out of my luxury Mercedes sedan with my driver, mm -hmm. Giovanni. Yes. I mean, it was quite fabulous. <laughs> and I went to, you know, my regular hotel suite in Milan at the fanciest, uh, you know, five-star hotel in Milan. And I'm a black girl from Harlem, mm -hmm. 150th Street, Nate Dapple. Mm -hmm. So clearly, this is, I've come a long way from the block, right? And um, when I arrived, this is probably like, you know, maybe my, I don't know, 20th, 30th time doing that, right? Because I've been in the business for a minute and mm -hmm. I've been living this kind of lifestyle for a while. And when I, when I got into that hotel room and when the bellman left, I collapsed onto the sheets and I was like, this cannot be my life. I realized I was miserable and mm -hmm. I was um, dissatisfied and I just felt like there was a hole in my spirit. And I said, how can I change my life? And I did not really have an answer, but I sat down and I wrote out the things that made me feel bad about myself and about my life. I realized that I was working in a career of fashion that really does prey on women's insecurities. And, um, you know, and also it was a tough position for me because I was working in luxury and there weren't a lot of black people in the space. So I was always having to show up and kind of um, 
be a representative for my entire culture. Mm -hmm. And for a while, I took a lot of pride in that, but then it just became exhausting. Um, And there were lots of other things. And I wrote these things down. I said, well, what can I do about it? Now, clearly, if I'm I'm from 150th Street and 8th Avenue from Harlem in the hood, I'm not going to up and jump my, uh, you know, quit my uh, six-figure job, right? Right. I'm not Mm going to do that because I'm dissatisfied. But I said, what can I do to start changing my life right now? And I said, I can change how people address me. Because I was so successful at my job at Vibe Magazine, they had started calling me Beverly Smith from Vibe Magazine. That was my name. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I said, no, I don't want to do that anymore because one day I'm going to leave Vibe Magazine and one day I'm going to do something different. And I don't want my name to be so closely connected to an enterprise that really has nothing to do with me. It's not something I own. Mm -hmm. So I said, I'm going to change my name to Bevy because Bevy is a bevy of abundance. Much, you know. <laughs> so I was like, baby. that's me. Tell us, baby. Much. I'll take that. So I became Bevy Smith. <laughs> Well, you know, the beauty of that story is, like I said, I, I, I experienced it. And, you know, and the, the early part of it is when people start accepting it, because there's a group of people that will accept it. And then some people will tease you and kind of remind you like they have something to, over your head or well, I know who you really are. Yeah. But yeah. But, the, the, but the big part about it was, you know, my whole life. And this is where we relate a lot is that and this is with anybody. You're told. You're raised by a parent, if you're two parents, if you're fortunate, and you go to middle school, high school, you're told how to walk, talk, you make decisions, you you may go to college if you're fortunate. All the decisions, a lot of those decisions are being made by somebody else. They're shaping you. And so when you have a personality, like I have a person, like what, like Bevy has a personality, it's not normal. Her personality is not normal because it was screaming to say something different, to say something like my degree is in mathematics. And so, oh, I got a degree to make, but I was screaming like, like, like your career was in fashion. And vibe and Rolling Stone. So that's what I say was later. But you were screaming to say, yes, I'm successful. Yes, I'm achieving. I work for IBM. But I was screaming saying, that's not what I want to do for the rest of my life. And that voice, talk, tell us about that little voice. Because I heard that voice in my body and I ran from it. I was afraid to tell people about it. And when I finally made the decision that this is who I was going to be, it brought me to tears because I was for the first time being honest in my life. And that's why I love your book, Revelations, because it's about being honest. And you're asking any reader who reads your book to be honest about yourselves. When you start reading the book, when you walk away from it in the end, there will be changes because for the first time, you have basically a blueprint on somebody who's telling her story, unapologetic life, that in comparison is very similar to yours. Yeah. So I'm hoping to um, challenge people to look inside, Mm -hmm. to really kind of excavate Um, what they really want in life. Um, As you mentioned, oftentimes, especially if we're successful, um, as black people especially, we feel very guilty about being successful in in our careers and then um, wanting to do something different. Because we we know from whence we came. And even the most affluent black person is traditionally only maybe two, if they're blessed, four generations away from poverty, right? Mm -hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like, you know, traditionally, you know, our parents have come through Jim Crow South. You know, my parents were, they actually knew slaves. My, mm-hmm. my grandparents, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, so we're not that far removed. So when we start to become successful, 
We find ourselves feeling very guilty about saying, I don't want this because who are we? You know, there, there's that whole meme that goes around on social media. I am my um, my uh, my my ancestors' wildest dreams, and I'm sure when I was at Beverly Smith, fashion advertising, making a great six figure salary, and traveling all over the world, my grandparents could never have imagined that. These were people who were born in the 1800s. How could they imagine that their granddaughter would have all of this latitude and have all this luxury and have all these, um, you know, and have actually a staff that looked up to her? You know how Oprah always says, <laughs> her grandmother said, one day you're going to, you know, find yourself some good white people to work for. And Oprah said, oh, well, grandma, now I found actually good white people to work for me. Right. So I think we all battle that. Mm-hmm. But I think that in my book, which is meant to be a self-help book, I really stress to you that if you have a dream, if you have a passion that's inside of you, even though you're really successful at your current job, your career, what have you, you owe it to yourself to explore that. You have to. And it doesn't mean and I never tell people to do what I did, which is I quit my job totally. Mm-hmm. I quit a job at Rolling Stone magazine where I was making $350,000 a year and I quit. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm not advising anyone to do that. That's a very hard thing to do. And then that's an extreme thing to do. That's what I need to do for myself. But for you, it could be just as simple as actually honing in on that passion. You know, how many of us are amazing home cooks? My sister is a great home cook. Guess what she did? She started up her own catering business. Miss Lolly's Kitchen, and it's doing really well. <laughs> mm-hmm. I have another friend who actually shot the cover of my, my book. Mm-hmm. He is a music industry executive, has nothing to do with photography, but he was taking his classes, he was doing so well, and I said, well, would, you, would you actually take the photo for my book? And I gave him an opportunity, and my publisher paid him for that. Wow. You know, so we, we but the thing is, if we don't ever even try to follow our dreams and to chase our passions, we will never, ever know if we can actually do them. Well, we will yeah. never know. So uh, it's very imperative. I know you're successful. I know you're doing the damn thing. I know everyone loves you in that position. <laughs> I remember when I quit Rolling Stone, my boss said to me, you can't quit. You're in line to be uh, you know, a publisher. You could actually run this magazine one day. And I was like... Oh, yeah, I know I can, but that's not what I want to do. Mm-hmm. I want to do all these other creative things. I want to be a writer. Right. I want to be a TV personality. I want to act. I want to sing. I want to dance. I want to do all these creative things. I want to paint. I want to study art and architecture. And guess what, Rashawn? I'm doing all those things now. I so know, you do have to tell me because, I, like I told you, our stories cross so many times, you know, and 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 and, I, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm sure it crosses a lot of people who are going to read this book and people who are looking for direction. And I tell you this, you know, you know, it's not a dollar value because I remember when I was writing on Jamie Foxx show and I went to Warner Brothers and I said, "Can you let me out of the contract?" I was making money. Yeah. But I wanted to go a different direction in my career. It wasn't nothing to do with 
uh, Bentley Evers, who was a good friend of mine today, or Jamie Foxx. It was at that point in my career I wanted to do something different. I wanted to, I wanted to, making that decision eventually led me to managing Steve Harvey. Because, you know, that move right there uh, went over to the Parkers and I was right known as a consulting producer, which gave me time to start managing Steve. And we got a deal to do the morning show in 2000. And basically the rest is history. You know, Family Feud, the three books, the two movies. And we all are And he has a career that he'll never look back on. And, and I have a career that I don't look back on. But it's yeah. a decision you make. And that's like and, I, and that reason I bring that up is that, you know, money holds a lot of people hostage. It holds Amen. them hostage from their dreams, holds them hostage from the opportunities. So Sean, I, I have to stop you for a moment because I, this is something that's really pertinent. Mm-hmm. Right before I decided to quit Rolling Stone, I mm-hmm. also had an opportunity to buy a brownstone in Harlem. Yes, ma'am. Now, for anyone who doesn't understand what that means is that I had an opportunity at that time to buy a brownstone that would have been $250,000, mm-hmm. um, which that brownstone now probably goes for $1.5 million. Mm-hmm. In the 15-year span, that's how much the property values have risen. But if I had bought that brownstone with Sean, I could not have also quit my job. Right. And I would have been beholden to the job so that I could maintain that lifestyle of that brownstone. Mm -hmm. And sometimes people do not understand, which is what you were alluding to. They do not understand that sometimes your money and your possessions can become a gilded cage. It can become an albatross right around your neck. And you have to be careful about that. You know, in my book, I write a chapter called Broke But Blissful. Yes. And so many people are outraged about that chapter because they're just like, I can't believe you went from $350,000 a year to $35,000 a year. Mm -hmm. And I tell them all the time, I did that because I knew that it was a temporary moment. Mm -hmm. Trouble don't last always. Mm -hmm. I knew I could make more money. Yes. But what I knew also is that if I kept on that same path of being a fashion advertising director, I would have made a lot of money and been incredibly miserable. And what kind of life is that? That's not a life worth living to me. Well, I, I would tell you this. Your life in this book is, has been ahead of the time. I want to I want to go into a couple of areas of the book that I thought that just stood out. The essence culture versus the vibe culture. Yeah. And that's important because time periods dictate how people react to you. Like you said, mm-hmm. you know, I was 10 years earlier, 10, or 10 years too early when I walked into Essence with the look that you were, had at that point. Now that that look would work. It was it was dynamic. Talk about the Essence culture and the Vibe culture because you had an opportunity to go to Essence and you chose yeah. Vibe. Yes. Yeah, I had an opportunity to go to Essence Magazine, the uh, the grand dame of Essence Magazine, Susan mm-hmm. Taylor, who is an iconic woman and who's such a great gift and, and a woman who doesn't judge other women. She she met with me and she thought I was terrific. And she said, you know what? I think there's a position here for you. Go and meet with my, my uh, advertising team. And when I met with them, I realized that everyone was in like really business women suits, you know, mm-hmm. like everyone had like, you know, collars up the hair. And <laughs> they were wearing suits. They weren't wearing that, you know, that their makeup was very subdued and understated. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, yeah, I just left a white, an all white environment where I didn't feel my most natural bevy as self. Mm-hmm. I don't want to go into a black environment and not feel my most bevy as self. <laughs> and so I, I declined that that um, offer. 
And then a couple of months later, I got an offer to be at Vibe Magazine. Mm-hmm. And when I walked in Vibe, I said, oh, this is my jam right here. Because mm-hmm. see, I'm, I'm the first generation of hip hop. And mm-hmm. I'm born and raised in New York. So hip hop is my thing. And in the book, as you know, Rashawn, I talk about being Big Bad from Uptown. Yes. I'm friends with Tupac and Biggie and, you know, Puff. And I, I'm in the scene. I'm on the scene. Right. And so right. hip hop is my natural habitat. Right, right. And so when I walk into Vibe, they get my fly girl look. Mm-hmm. They get my big earrings. Mm-hmm. They get that I'm showing some cleavage and I'm still going to take care of business. Right. You know what I mean? So it was a really good fit. So sometimes, you know, you have to look at a corporate culture and know whether or not it's worth it to you to contort yourself and to do things that don't feel necessarily natural to you. Is it worth it? When I went to Rolling Stone, totally different corporate culture. Again, right back into an all-white situation. Right. But I went up in Rolling Stone with a real reason. As you know, Rashawn, I talk about, I went to Rolling Stone knowing that I was going to quit right. as soon as I got my bonus check. Absolutely. absolutely. I was going to do a hot 10 months up in there. <laughs> and as soon as they gave me my bonus check, right. I was going to be like, child for now. Well, you know, the thing about it in that moment, if you just the vibe Rolling Stones moment that you had because you didn't really expect to go to Rolling Stone. You was using Rolling Stone as a stepping stone and then Vibe said, uh, uh, you know, no, uh, no, Vibe was first and then it was Rolling Stone. I mean, right, it was Vibe. Was, I apologize. It was Rolling Stone because you went to Rolling Stone, picked up an offer and then you took it back over to Vibe and then yes. Vibe said, oh, wow, good luck. Good luck. Good luck. And so, and so, and you were ready for that. You, you were caught off guard, but it didn't slow down your momentum. And nah. so that's why I just love the whole process is that do not, and I talk about it in my intro, do not allow people to control your destiny. Write your own story and you continually write your own story. And yeah. I, I, and I want to ask you uh, one thing, Bevy, because I'm talking to Bevy Smith, uh, author of a tremendous book that I want to recommend to everybody called Bevelations. It's her memoir by learning to live a big, authentic and unapologetic life and how you can too. One of the most fulfilling speaking events was your tour of HBCUs. Yes. I, I talk about HBCUs. I, I did not attend one, but I'm a big proponent. I, I promote it. I uh, amplify HBCUs equal black excellence. Tell us about how impactful that tour was that your girlfriend from Boost hooked you up with as the sponsor HBCU College Tour. Yeah. You know, I also went to a PWI. You know, I went to New York University mm-hmm. where I did not graduate because I was already in my career. Mm-hmm. And so my boss was like, well, you can actually teach the course. And now you're mis- missing out on big presentations and meetings. You know, the rubber hit, hit the road. So I actually left mm-hmm. um, with probably only a year left to get my degree. Mm-hmm. But it didn't stop me. But I always tell people it's one thing to drop out of a, a prestigious school like NYU and another thing to drop out of a, you know, a, a, a school, the Trump University. Let's put it that way. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. So um, I, like you, am a very big fan of um, HBCUs. And so when I had the opportunity to go and speak, Um, It was a Boost Mobile tour. It was really an amazing moment for me because it was my first ever speaking engagement. Um, And so I learned a lot. I was on a panel with people who did a lot of public speaking. Mm -hmm. And what I realized is that they had very rote, very scripted kind of things that they would talk about. And every stop would be the same line. So from Morehouse to Howard, from, you know, Pam, you to, you know, uh, uh, Morris Brown, they would say the same kind of things. Right. And um, I also realized that they were giving people a highlights reel. 
And I said, oh, yeah, that's not going to help the kids, giving them a highlights reel. We need to let them know about the real challenges that they will face in the workplace. Mm -hmm. Being black, Mm -hmm. going into corporate America, Mm -hmm. what can they expect and how can they they navigate these issues? Mm -hmm. And so that's when I decided to come really clean. I started telling people about my most authentic self. And in the book, I talk about, you know, finding out three things. And this is how you develop your own personal brand. Who are you at your core? How are you being perceived? How would you like to be perceived? If you can answer those three questions really honestly, and that's where the introspective work comes in that, if you can answer those questions, you can develop a personal brand. And once you develop your personal brand, I have a chapter called Brand You, mm-hmm. and that talks about how you can maximize and actually sell people into your personal brand, have them buy into it. And that's what I was able to do on that tour. But I got to tell you, you know, Rashawn, um, as I've mentioned several times just in this interview, I'm from Harlem. And when I was um, in these all-white environments, mm-hmm. especially when um, I was a kid in the 80s as an advertising receptionist, um, people were horrified that I lived in Harlem. And they would say things like, are you safe? Don't you want to move? And things like that. And when I would go over to Europe, I would always tell people I was from Harlem versus saying I'm from Manhattan. Harlem is a neighborhood in Manhattan, so mm-hmm. I could have easily said I'm from Manhattan, and that yeah. that means everything, you know. Right. Manhattan is what you see when you think of New York City. Mm-hmm. You really only think of Manhattan, mm-hmm. and now Brooklyn, but really Manhattan, right? And so I could have said that, but I chose to always lead with Harlem. And can I just tell you something from being authentic mm-hmm. about my brand and about who I am and where I'm from? Mm-hmm. I have made so much money from Harlem from being from Harlem. Because now all these big brands come into Harlem and they want an authentic voice. <laughs> and they want someone who is recognized, recognizable from a national point of view, mm-hmm. but someone who is very locally um, connected. And there I am. So I learned doing that on that HBCU tour. Mm-hmm. I, I learned to be my most authentic self and not to hide these things. That's even the reason why I put in the book that I didn't graduate from NYU. I thought it was important to put that in there. Mm-hmm. No, so yeah, it's the authenticity is what wins for me. Well, um, I'm talking to Beverly Smith. She's uh, she's been booked. She's blessed, and she's busty. But more importantly, <laughs> she has a fantastic book called Bevelations. You can hear her on Sirius XM Bevelations on Radio Andy. Uh, Beverly Smith, I want to thank you for coming on Money Making Conversations. Thank you so much, my love. It's been a joy. It's been really great chatting with you. And I'm so happy that we finally met after all these years. Absolutely. You know, the beauty of you is that uh, I, I know this won't be the last time we're going to talk. But secondly, our lives are so relatable and I feel a kinship towards you. And the blessings that have happened in my life are being received in your book. And so it's my responsibility to promote your book and, and get it into the hands of as many people as possible. Again, thank you for coming on Money Making Conversations, Miss Bevy. Smith. Thank you, Rashawn. It's been my pleasure, my love. We will be right back with more money-making conversations with your host, Rashawn McDonald. Hi, I'm Rashawn McDonald, the host of Money Making Conversation. The Cafe Mocha Swag Award is a celebration of black men who are making a difference in our community by empowering others to reach their life goals. From civic leaders, businessmen, activists, celebrities, and everyday dads, the Cafe Mocha Swag Award winner this week is Dundre Whitfield. He is an Emmy-nominated veteran TV and film actor. His new book, Male vs. Man, is a game changer. Dondre's goal is to help readers understand how the definition of manhood has changed and to transform males so they can obtain man status. Our manhood 
is directly tied to our dedication to being a servant leader, serving the women and children in our lives. I talk about in the book how every man has to be the walking tree of his house and community. Right. So a tree feeds us, a tree gives us shelter, a tree allows us to breathe better. That's the job of every man for every woman and child in his life. The Cafe Mocha Swag Award represents men who have strength, whose wisdom is assertive, and who is genuine in their spirit. Welcome back to Money Making Conversations with your host, Rashawn McDonald. My next guest is an industry decision maker. He's an entrepreneur and he's celebrity. He is a celebrity in this industry. Oluwenjo Shala. Uh, he was born and raised in West Africa. Growing up, he shared an eight by 10 room with his mother and seven siblings. Now he's the founder of CEO of Alafia. Proceeds from the Alafia beauty and grooming products are returned to communities in West Africa to fund community empowerment and gender equality initiatives such as maternal health care, education, reforestation, and regenerative, regenerative agriculture. We were discussing overcoming the odds, something I'm very familiar with in America. So it happens everywhere. Stereotyping in business, something that we deal with in America as well, and his female-centric business model. Please welcome to Money Making Conversation is Oluwenjo Shala. Thank you. Thank now, you. Let's, let's get the name right. Did I, did I come close? Shala. I, I got Shala you down. Know, you're, you're both 60, so you got passing grades. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, my brother. I know I got Shala right. I know I got that yes, down. Yes, definitely. You got said, Rashad, do not. That one, You've been practicing that for a little while. Absolutely. So, so tell me, man. You know, the, you know, we always deal with stereotypes. You know, uh, you know, uh, uh, since I've been uh, in this business, uh, you know, and because I want to start to the truth to talk to the journey, because you've had to battle stereotypes. You know, uh, you know, a lot of people said negative things about people from Africa, uh, scam artists. Uh, you know, shouldn't trust them. Always got some up their sleeve. And then, you, but you want to be a businessman, and so you're trying to convince the same people who have these stereotypes. And I'm not just talking about white people. I'm talking about people of my color had these same stereotypes. How did you start breaking down those walls before people understood your story? You know, the, th th thank you. Uh, it, 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 the walls is you have to have understanding that walls takes time right. uh, to break. However, you cannot let anybody uh, guard uh, your wall. Uh, you mm -hmm. have to take those down immediately. I think for me, it was uh, being very clear on what has been offered. And what I mean is that when I, I when we first started, when I approached retailers, I, I was coming from a place of these are what you need. Mm -hmm. It's not about what Africa needs. These right. are what America needs. And that's a very different approach. Uh, because for 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 a long time we're viewed as beggars and needing, mm -hmm. uh, as opposed to be viewed as those that can contribute to overall humanity around the world, from civilizations uh, and even to today. So mm -hmm. that that fundamental that's important because it's psychological. When you psychologically understand what you're offering to the world and what you can offer to America, I think people pay attention. Uh, and also when you're very clear what are you going to engage your own community with, right? Because you're facing a community here in America, but how do you engage your own community? When those two things are very clear, I think it, it becomes a, a little bit easier to break those walls. But you know, it's interesting when you look at my life, you know, I've been a, uh, I've been a Negro, 
I've been recognized as a black person and then an African-American. And so so that's a name journey that I've been involved in. And African-American ties me back to where I've come from, which I feel blessed to be able to have a place that I came from. Because when you come over on a ship and you're, you're, and you're based on slavery, you got to have a real root because slavery is not a root. It's not a base. And and I have to say this. What, what impact do you feel that having that, that base? Because you have a home. You know, you have a recognizable home. Talk to us about that's that. That's right. You know, the, um, the basis is uh, fundamental uh, and because essentially, if you look at what I'm doing, is really sharing that base with the world, right? That because I have a base, I'm able to say culturally, these are what we have to offer and culturally, these are knowledge that we have and by sharing that with you, you can be healthier. So I think it is a multi-magnitude level when you do have a base. And, and that's something I'm quite grateful for, uh, to have that base. Beauty and grooming. You can't go wrong with that. You know, everybody wants to look good, especially in the African-American community. Um, I have six sisters, so I know a little bit of thing about watching women look good and groom themselves on a regular basis. But I used to watch my mom in the kitchen pull out that hot iron. And I don't know if it was a, I don't know if it was a pain, a, a walk of pain for my sisters. But guess what? They experienced it, put that dye in their hair and burn half the hair out. And, you know, and so but that was the price that. Black women paid to look good. And then you come along with products that are, I like to say, female friendly from a stand of, mm-hmm. of, of how you care for one another. What yes. led you down that path of, of, of beauty and grooming? It, uh, it wasn't a matter of, uh, of a choice. And, you know, this is really what is important to understand about Latvia. Right? These are vehicle for equality is a vehicle for justice. And so when you are set up your life to fight for equality, you have to use the tools that you have and, and that can give you the maximum mm-hmm. return. In this case, uh, for, for me, is understanding that we have share butter and we know how to make share butter and share butter is used in the personal care. Mm-hmm. And so it, it, was, it, it was a logical path to, to take. Now, I love for you. What is shea butter? I'm going to ask you that. I, I see it a lot. And I have it in my house. What? Where did it come from? And who? What, you know, what magic rock did, it, did somebody discover? Because shea butter is taking over the world, man. Come on, Sean. Talk that, to me, brother. Yes, yes, yes. Well, you know, the, uh, here's the thing. The, 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 the shea butter, as, as we know, uh, we need to go back to shea trees. Right. Those indigenous trees that can only be found in the savannah of West Africa. Right. And as the time can remember, for t- tens of thousands of years, that's what the people of West Africa use, either for cooking, uh, for the hair, for the body, you name it. Uh, so this is really intertwined with, uh, with our way of presenting beauty and, and, and culture. But, you know, the shea butter that you do see around the world today, as you would know, African resources don't benefit Africa or African descent. So, yes, shea butter is everywhere in the world. Uh, but it, it, what we're trying to do is to engage uh, with the communities in a way that it provides a, a direct economic benefit. And obviously, as you mentioned, as we started to contribute back to the community. Right. But what is the shea butter itself? Uh, mm-hmm. In this case, I want to talk about unrefined shea butter mm-hmm. because the majority of the shea butters 
uh, that you see in the marketplace go to a refined process that does not have all the healing property that should. Right. Uh, so it's here, but it is a, it is, is a fact, essentially, uh, from a Shia tree. And it really is a very unique type of fact uh, because, see, when you have, you're exposed to harsh environment uh, or direct sunlight, you need to be able to protect the layers of your skin. And Shia butter is known throughout history to be one of those protectors. Mm. Now, the reason I bring that up because, you know, when you see something that, you know, start to dominate the store, start to dominate the, the, the beauty line, the talk of conversation, just like black soap is a dominant uh, force in grooming now. How did these two become such a major player or a game changer? I like, let's use the word game changer. Yes. beauty and grooming, not only for women, but also for men, because I use the black soap. Yes. You know, I, I, I think uh, it really goes back to the bigger change that's happening around, uh, around us in the world. Uh, and here we're talking about America. We're talking about health. Right. right? If, if you look the revolution of our organic movement uh, and people wanting healthy product, I really think it's correlated and linked to these. And when you see there are very many ingredients in the world, uh, like a shea butter, right. that have all the various healing properties in just in one thing that could do all these different things that's come from an ultra-natural source. And the, the shea trees are wild. It can't be any more natural than that. Right? Mm -hmm. You don't have to fertilize them. You don't have to water them. You don't have to put the chemicals on them. So I think it's really correlated to the fact that the people around the world today uh, want to be have healthier options, and and then it happened that the shea butter is of a, of a natural source uh, is giving that that attention. Um, but I do think though, uh, while we see a loss of shea butter and and it, and it is a, in the dominant uh, places, we really should be having the conversation how these fundamental African based ingredient is empowering the people of Africa African descent. Now, with that being said, because part of your, uh, I guess, uh, narrative or initiative of your company mandate is giving back. It's about Correct. being reforestation, talking about maternal health care, which we all know, even in America, that's a major need. So I want to go to each one of them separately so we can discuss it and have a, an extended conversation. I want to blow up because yes. let's talk about first, which I think is important, is maternal health care, because yes. a lot of people take for granted, you know, because they see a child being born, but a lot of children aren't brought on, don't go for a term. And, and the situations lead to a lot of sadness and also can lead to suicides, depending on that situation. So let's talk about the maternal health care and your company's initiative, especially when it comes to gender equality, gender equality. Yeah, th thank you. Um, I mean, life in, in, in general uh, requires uh, us to be devoted to the for the well-being of bringing a child to this world. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, you know, when we start the conversation, we talk about uh, in the way in which I was brought up with seven, seven siblings uh, in a very small space. Uh, when you grew up in that kind of poverty, what you witness is women dying, giving birth. I, I lost sisters myself uh, when, when they tried to bring life to this earth. Mm -hmm. So it, it's something that's really personal to me. And uh, become an adult and having a life here, uh, it just makes sense for my heart that Lafia needs to be devoted in contrib contributing to reducing the unnecessary death of a woman by trying to bring life. Right. But there's something even more, even more fundamental or equally important 
uh, that has to do with economics, right? We, when we talk about gender equality, I'm really talking about economic equality uh, for our women. And, and what that means to me is that if we do not uh, invest in maternal health and lose the mothers, what happened is that the child, the older child, is likely to drop out of school. Mm. The young girls are likely to drop out of school. So for, and, and when we continue to have just a high dropout rate, the cycle of poverty never breaks. Right. And the poverty continue, the more the poverty continue, the more inequality or gender inequality continue. So for me, in order to break that cycle, we need the mothers to, to be alive so that the children can continue to go to school. So the, to answer that question, one is just a, a moral thing to do. Uh, one in 16 women today in, in sub-Saharan Africa well, would die trying to bring life to the earth. And the second part is, is a part of the long-term um, uh, process of breaking the cycle of poverty by uh, investing uh, so that our women can be there and, and our children to continue going to school. Yeah, Mr. Shalom, the reason I wanted to transition, start with that, because we used the word consistently in your first conversation with maternal health there, the word poverty. And poverty is always tied, I think, a lot to education. And that's because right. if you don't give a shot, if you don't have a clear understanding of your opportunity, that's what education gives you. I always tell people, you know, education is why you and I are having this conversation. You know, I come from the right. city. Uh, I come from a, you know, my father was a truck driver, my third grade education. My mom graduated from high school, six sisters, two brothers. You know, so all those elements without education means I may not be here. So education gave right. me a foothold to be able to have a conversation through opportunity. And opportunity gives That's me right. a chance to set goals. You set goals, then you become a person who can commit it to an effort, a plan of action that we're trying to get That's to. Right. So That's when right. I saw education, I really was excited because I went, he gets it. He gets it because yes. you can give people a, a money to, for food. You give people money for housing. But if you don't really understand that education can, if you give it to them, education, they can buy their food, they can supply their own housing. And so, <laughs> so let's talk Definitely about it's a, it's a dignity, right? That mm -hmm. nobody wants a handout. Right. Uh, but, but we can give a hand to each other. And mm -hmm. an education uh, opportunity is a form of giving a hand so that a person can stand. So, and I think dignity is very important uh, as, as a human being, how we view ourselves and how we conduct ourselves and how we go through life. Let me ask you this, sir. You know, stereotype, because we started out in the beginning. And I'm going to just be honest yes. with you. I, I spent uh, probably a month in uh, Durban, South Africa. Yes. Yes. And uh, Steve Harvey and I went over to the broadcast. And I swear to you, I didn't have a clue on where we could possibly broadcast. Because in my mind, based on information that's been given me, there was not a modern city in Africa, period. Stereotypes. And when I and and when I landed, I was ashamed of my lack of education. I, I landed in South Africa. I saw these beautiful black people. Then we drove down to Durban. It, was, it looked like I was landing in Atlanta, Georgia. It looked yes. like I was living in Atlanta, Georgia. But doesn't I have, that, yes. You know, doesn't that anger you? The stereotypes, the blind information that is being distributed, and I have to say, propaganda. But of clearly, um, you know. It not, it's more than anger um, because what it does is that it doesn't uh, allow for the world to to truly appreciate um, 
who we are. Right. Uh, and and I think uh, it's by design. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, a, it's a process that is not new to you. It's divide and conquer. And you can divide, when you can divide the mind and pollute the mind, uh, then you can conquer the people. Uh, and the conquering of the people today is not like uh, you, you have to necessarily put them in chain. It's just about their mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, I, and I think uh, what it, that also does, it continues to lead to these way of taking resources cheaply from Africa uh, because, well, they don't really need it. We need it. So they, I think there's, there's a reason behind this, not by accident. But when you understand that, um, and, and, and for me, is to try to break it, you start to talk about a wall. You mm-hmm. have to break them down. You have to engage directly uh, with, with, uh, with the world. You have to engage directly with the global market. Mm-hmm. And then that's why, you know, because I want to always like to have honest conversations with my interviews that I have because it's an education for me. And I remember when I went down to Durban, you know, I was down there. I, I, I found myself looking for property to buy. I was so in love, so enamored. And so and my wife said, calm down, calm down. Yes. <laughs> you don't know when you're going to go back. It's OK. You can have two homes. Right? You know what I'm saying? That's you know, you, you know because, you have because, two homes. you know, it's like, you know, it's like opening up a gift, you know, and you don't know. What's yeah, inside yeah. the gift when you pull it out? You go, yes. you want to keep looking yeah, inside for more of that gift, and that was my experience. And so, when I hear things yeah. like reforestation, that means that you're concerned about you know how your country looks and how if you don't take care of it, guess what? It becomes a desert. And so, talk about the, the agriculture, the importance of that, and because all this ties back to the bigger plan of what you're doing with your brand, and I want to support it. I want to promote it because of the fact that it Thank goes you. about changing through education, changing and removing a, a, a poverty culture from people. And also letting them understand they got to take care of where they live. They got to take care of your house. It's like, you know what I'm saying, Mr. Child, if you go in your house and you leave the doors wide open, somebody going to come in and steal. It's just they're going to come in and steal. They're going to steal. And so same thing with your country. You don't take care of your country. You don't take care of your forest. You don't replenish the, the ground that you want food to come out of. Guess what? It's going to die. And that's that has to be a passion for you that's really emotionally leads you every day down your path of what you want to do with your brain. Definitely, uh, you know, the, um, you know, because in order to achieve these, uh, these mission, uh, and this really is a mission of self-respect and respect to people, uh, you, you have to have a comprehensive approach. Mm-hmm. You can't simply just do maternal care uh, or you can't simply build schools and not think about uh, your environment. Right. But I think it really goes down to, again, about poverty. Uh, right? We Today, uh, when, when I first came to the States, people would say we come from a jungle. And, and the fact is that we used to have lots of trees. We used to have lots of jungles. But lots of it have been mowed down. Yes. And what we do know now is that when you cut it, you, you cut all those trees down, then the topsoil gets washed away with uh, what's called erosion. Yes, sir. And when you have uh, uh, so much erosion, you lose all the nutrients from the topsoil. And when you lose all the nutrients, the topsoil gets washed away. You increase in ability, inability to grow food. And when you don't have food, what happens? It leads to farming. And when you're hungry, you can't learn. You can't go to school. You can't. So the, the, the environment and planting trees for Alafia is fundamental uh, way that I, I, we feel that in indirect way, 
that leads to reduction of poverty. You know, it's really, uh, first of all, hopefully you're enjoying the conversation here because it's, a, it's about uh, my view and my unique experience of going to a, a country, being called an African-American and being recognized as a, a leader in this country, but also being after knowledge of a high level of ignorance. And so, you know, when you when you're trying to get financing for your business, did you run into stereotypes there? Well, it, 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 I think that's a common place, right? The, it, which is unfortunate uh, because people like us and yourself, mm -hmm. uh, you, we, we, when you we grew up in the way we grew up, mm -hmm. you're not going to go to daddy or mommy and say, uh, can you give me money to start this? Right? You, right. you by, the, the, by the minute that you can put your own belt on, you have, you're taking care of the dad and mom. Mm -hmm. right? So you are on your own. And when you're on your own and you can't get money from family, which uh, many people do when they start business, uh, and on top of it, being a black man. Right. Uh, so it is, uh, the mountain is high. But again, you can climb it. You, you have to try. You have to, you have to give it all you got. And, and uh, we, we were turned down many times to the point where I stand in the bank and I said, I won't go home. I was surprised I wasn't arrested. Right. That I, these, uh, I need to get this loan. And I believe this loan will help Americans and it will help my community so I can start this social enterprise. Mm -hmm. you, don't, you don't give up. Uh, but you know what I also learned very quickly is that people in America is not going to give you uh, what you need. Yeah, and we, we did end up uh, getting a small loan after so much per perseverance. But what I did to this day is to walk around the clock, let, let my sweat uh, become that, that money and generate the funds uh, as, we, as we grow. But we all also know that without uh, as, as, uh, capital, it's mm -hmm. diff difficult to grow at the rate that you need to grow. Absolutely. You know, it's really interesting because I always tell people there are 24 hours in a day, learn to take advantage of each hour. And that seems to be the principle that you run your career. Because it was a question that was sent over to me, said, what advice would you give someone wanting to pursue a career similar to yours? And I, I, I saw that commercial, I'd say, there's nothing similar to yours. You know, you know, you're a philanthropist, you're a businessman, you're, you, you, you care, you, uh, you, you remember. You uh you you feel you you feel pain you know and I and I say yes. that I feel that I say that because it's really interesting when people look at successful people and I consider you a successful person. And, Thank you, and I'm I'm quite blessed. And I'm grateful. You know, in, in that in that blessing process, it it lends itself to go. How can I do more? And you know, you can only That's do so right. much. You know what I'm saying? And and also when you fight stereotypes, you fight ignorance, you fight impoverished conditions that you can't change. You cry generational ignorance, generational poverty you know and so when i hear that question your career isn't similar because you're unique and unique because you. the fact that you want to create change because a lot of people just walk away they go hey man that's where i used to live you know what i'm saying you're not saying that you're saying look no. i used to live there and i still go back there and i want to build up i want to grab as many as i can you know that that old that old you said that painting where somebody leans down with their hand to pull another brother up you know, that's, that's right. You. What, 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 what created that drive in you like that, sir, Mr. Charla? You, you know, I, uh, I was thinking really come from uh, my mother. Mm -hmm. uh, she, she was an indentured servant in neighboring country. 
and and she she lost both of her parents uh, when she was still a baby. So mm-hmm. she 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 worked in exchange for food her whole life and ended up uh, having us and uh, having eight of us and never want to be alone again. But one thing that she she made sure that we know once is to is to work hard, but above all is to be humble and serving. Uh, she felt that was how she survived, and that's how we need. Those are the manners that we need to engage with. Uh, and and she also, she also helped us understand the injustice, even in our small community or village. So mm-hmm. I think for me, I, I at very early on, I I have come to somehow believe on uh, on duties and more responsibility as an individual. Uh, and 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 when you have a more responsibility, that creates a drive because you got to do something with that responsibility, and especially when it's moral. Wow. You know, I know that, um, you know, we're just human, sir. That's all. We're human. And sometimes being human is, is also can be a, a negative. There's no, we have no godlike powers. <laughs> you know, we, we can't snap our fingers. We can't wish we're not genies. But in the process of building your company and building your brand, you can make a difference. And, and if you say, Rashawn, one thing... It, it, because you, because we list a lot of things. We talk about maternal yes. health. We talk about education, reforestation. We talk about gender uh, equality initiative. What pops out at the top of that list? If you said, Rashawn, I really want to focus on this. What what what, what popped out? Is it education? Is it the maternal <laughs> health care? What you know, I, I will I will actually uh, think that is uh, economics. Mm-hmm. And and uh, what I mean by economics. Uh, because it's, it's having to me, and I'm looking at uh, from home, right? When I look from home, 70% of our communities in West Africa today are the way I grew up, in a rural community. And we, we have two things. We have knowledge and, and we have resources. So economic to me is that how do we put those two together and 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 in a moral process and share with the world? Because that process does many things. One, it gives us fund uh, for for healthcare for ourselves. It gives us self dignity because now we're able to trade our resources. We don't just give them away. And above all, it allows us to invest in our future, which we don't have right now. Right. So I think, I think everything else, in my view, falls under economics. But it needs to be economics that have a level of morality that's incorporated. Economics itself in terms of capitalism that we see today, nothing's wrong with making money, but making money recklessly and, and, and destroying the people, uh, way of life, cultures, and above all, the environment is not the way to go in the future when we have 8 billion people on the earth. Uh, and to me, it, it had to imply a sense of morality and and still uh, be be uh, a capitalist uh, process. Well, you know, the when we, we 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 as we go through this conversation, talking about your brand, talk about you. I know this is not. First of all, I'm just tell you this: this is not the only time we're going to talk. Secondly, I, I, my main concern here was that I just want to have a conversation with you, sir, about you. Thank you. I feel the same way. I, as soon as we turn the cameras off, uh, I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna come to Atlanta and, uh, we and know I, because I don't know why you drink, but uh, I I can bring some stuff from home. You know, thank you. You know, the thing about it is that, you know, this is a man's man's conversation in the sense of, you. you know, I know where I came from, and and I'm not bragging. 
I'm not bragging. You know, you, you don't brag from coming from impoverished situations. You don't brag from coming from situations that, that didn't lend themselves to favorable outcomes. You brag when you come from Beverly Hills. You brag when you graduate from Yale. You brag when you, 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 you're born with a spoon in your mouth. You brag when you, when you, the Queen Elizabeth is your, is your grandmama. You know what I'm saying? That's what you brag about. But you can brag when you're willing to make a difference where you came from. And that's, that's right. all, that's my mandate. That's all I live for. And so, so when I was leaving your bio and I wanted to talk to you, my conversation was that your business got this interview, but the interview I wanted to talk about the man. And thank brother, you. You thank cannot you. change because you're an inspiration because you're breaking down barriers every day. And as you break down these barriers, it's important that people understand that, that you don't have to do that. You can get in your car and not and, and, and be happy. That's you can, right. You can pay the That's taxes right. and not go back. And when you go back, you can floss. That's and, right. And end it all. But you don't want to floss. You want to. You want to yeah. care. But we. But we have to. You mm -hmm. know. The uh, you saw the conversation talk about the barrier and the wall. Mm -hmm. uh, if we and as you do, and we don't engage, what kind of if people before us didn't didn't engage. Uh, what is going to happen to our children's children? Because we know that we don't want them to live uh, and witness what mm -hmm. we witness. Mm -hmm. So I, I think again, it, uh, we, there's no there's no way around but to engage and to share and to share with uh, with respect. Mm -hmm. And I know the it is the interesting thing about um, streaming television. Mm -hmm. You know, streaming television, when I talk streaming, I'm talking about the Netflix, the Amazons and yeah. the Apples. They have exposed us to the African culture from a television, from a filmmaking standpoint, and really allowed us to become more and more comfortable that they are just like us. And I, that's, right. that's a blessing. And that's a blessing. A lot of people need to understand what I'm saying here, because when you don't know, and so and sometimes the media can control what you know. You know, and so that's why you walk around the United States. They have they have Confederate statues up like they good because they don't tell you the story that they should never have been up. Okay, that's right. Especially around people who they were willing to enslave and maintain their slavery status. And so, so when I look at the the, Net, the, the Netflixes and the Amazons and all these streaming, I'm, I'm so happy because I myself personally, I, I see it breaking down walls of communication, entertainment. And uh, do you see that? Do you feel that as a blessing? You know, I, I do. Um, I, I, you know, because there's one thing that, that I always talk about is how do we bring our communities uh, together? Right, uh, and, and and to me, what the, what Lafayette does and the product that Lafayette offers uh, is one way to do that. Right. But what we see today that we can, you know, and I even speak for myself, right? mm -hmm. I can be in West Africa and be able to do a video conference with mm -hmm. somebody in America is immediate. Mm -hmm. right, where, where you don't have to rely on the on the, on, on the newspaper to print the story that's your story. You, right. you you could have your own story. Um, so, so I, I think that that process, uh, um, it, 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 what's happened right now is a good thing, but we must also be very mindful um, that the way in which we're sharing, that the people who are sharing, at least from uh, in Africa, are representing the people. Uh, so that's something that we have to be, we have to pay attention to. But as it is right now, I, I, I do agree. It is a, a way for us to begin to uh, 
peel the first layer, I would say there are many layers. At least peel the first layer. Well, first layer is this. You came on my show to talk about your product. Let's uh, tell us how we can get, we can reach it, how we can buy it, how we can uh, purchase it. How we can <laughs> Richard, I want to tell you something. Uh, I don't see Alafia as just a product, right? Uh -huh. This is a tool, uh, and I'll, I'll be more than grateful to talk to you about even bigger matters around all right. the world all day long. Uh, mm -hmm. But uh, where you can find the uh, Alafia product, uh, since you asked, um, we're quite fortunate. We mm -hmm. have a uh, product available in Walmart. Right. Uh, we, have, we have a product available in the Target, mm -hmm. uh, as well as a Whole Foods Market mm -hmm. around the country. Mm -hmm. uh, and pretty much any health food stores, that, that's where we are, is in health food stores. Uh, do carry our product as well, and of course, uh, on, uh, within our own website. Well, you know, I had to, I had to bring it up because I didn't want your PR people to be mad. He didn't even talk about the product. I don't know. We was on that United Nations conversation. I don't know. We don't ever want to come on Money Making conversation again. Because you, know, you and I having a good time. But you know, PR they're, they're people, you know, they book you. They supposed to. He didn't even ask for the website. He didn't ask no prices. What was that interview all about? We are never doing that show again. Hey, calm down. I love the guy. I love the guy. He's my man. Well, you think you have everybody you, you do you yeah. take care of everybody well I, I take care of people who are making a difference in this world and i Thank i'm you. not saying i'm doing that sir i know that uh, uh this, this is just a small show that represents my values and the people i've tried to bring on this show also represent the values of change of opportunity of success and you're a beautiful person man uh, you can't change you. i'll be mad if you do you know i'll be the first person to fly to washington and find you and say what happened this brother I, I can I can promise you to the last breath. Uh, this is my journey. This is a path that I've been grateful for to walk uh, in this current moment, and mm -hmm. and I would do it until 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 there's no more living. Uh, because you know, after 17 years, mm -hmm. uh, it has become very clear to me that these these are the right thing to do, uh, and and it's the right thing to do by my communities. And and I'm just uh, very very grateful that uh, I have the opportunity to serve a mission like this. Cool. I want to thank you for coming on Money Making Conversation. Please come back. Please come back. Send some, tell them to send me about fl some flyers, some banners so I can put in my newsletter and my social thank media. You. So, so your PR thank people won't be mad at this about this interview. Did you get anything out of this? Did you no, get they, anything they out? You know, and, and before you let me go, I want to tell you too. Uh, mm -hmm. You can't you can't stop either, uh -huh. right, Rashan. You have to keep going too because right. we we we, we I may make product and yes, invest sir. in the community. But people like you that want to have conversation and, mm -hmm. and build the layers and bring our community together, mm -hmm. it's just it's just as critical, if, even if it's not more critical. So we uh, carry on forward as well. Thank you, my friend. Thank you for coming on Money Making Conversation. And again, you are my friend. I say that very sincerely. I say that uh, because uh, I can. Can I say this? I love you, brother. I love you. I love you, too. And, uh, thank, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to speak to you. OK, cool. It's time to stop reading other people's success stories. And I'm just going to tell you, you have to start writing your own. That's the only way you can win. Now, you can be motivated by their success when you read about their stories and they can offer you direction and help you reach your goals. But remember, it's their story. It's their goals. It's their success. You have to plan your own. And it has to be planned and achieved by your committed effort. The interviews I present to you on my, my money-making conversation platform celebrities, CEOs, entrepreneurs, industry decision makers, male, female, transgender. I, I try to walk through the whole process and let everybody know that everybody is available to, to share a slice of how they are achieving success. And nobody's unique in it. 
But the only unique thing I always tell people is how hard they work. When they set a goal, they see it through. My next guest is one of those people. You know, she didn't let age stop her. She didn't let being a, a gender stop her. She didn't let being a single mom stop her. My next guest is Dr. Geneva Williams. After a 40 plus year career as an award winning innovative nonprofit leader, Dr. Geneva Williams reinvented herself as an author, international speaker, podcaster, and title-holding advocate for women to live fit, fine, and a vibrant life. She shares how she went from her stellar career as a president CEO, becoming a widow after four decades of marriage, still raising two millennials at home, to becoming the oldest contestant to win the Miss Black Fit and Fine pageant, to being recognized as a leading Michigan businesswoman, and going on to be the star in her very first television commercial. She's on the show today. Please welcome the Money making conversations, Dr. Geneva Williams. Did I get everything right, Doc? Oh, <laughs> fabulous. Oh my goodness. I want you to come right for me and introduce me everywhere I go. How oh, are Jesus. you? Oh, you gotta have something you to say so though. And you, for, and you got something uh, to say though. You have something to say. You have a life to say. And I, I want to talk about your life because you know, I always look at people, you know, youth. We don't, we don't see, uh, well, you, you know, you're 18, 19, you, tell, you still mention the word 40, 60. It's so far off, you can't even conceptualize what it feels like to be 40 or 60. Or And you look around and you see people who are 40 and 60 and you go, I'll never walk. You might not even say how I'm going to walk or what I'm going to do because we don't think about preparing for retirement. Now, let's talk about your early life, you know, uh, successful, married, happy, uh, two beautiful kids. How was that life like for you? Oh, it was fabulous. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I am. Um, I have three children, three jobs, and uh, three grandchildren. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I, you know, really was living a fabulous life. Mm-hmm. I had the a career mm-hmm. where I didn't think I had a job because I was doing what I loved doing. Uh, running the United Way, working in nonprofits, mm-hmm. helping create change, raising millions of dollars for various community initiatives and, you know, had a real good, good marriage mm-hmm. um, and things were going along for me. Great. I come from a small town in New Jersey and mm-hmm. I grew up in a community of adults. You know, Rashawn, you know, my sister and I used to always <laughs> think that the adults in the community would go somewhere and have a meeting on us mm-hmm. <laughs> because they seem to know everything about us. And they gave us constant advice and endless questions about how we were doing and how mm-hmm. were our grades and mm-hmm. how were we making it. And, you know, it was like this community consensus where right. everyone was interested in our success. And I still today think, even though then I thought it was a big time conspiracy, mm-hmm. but what what I know now is it was about adults in a community caring. Right. And so, so much of my life's work has been about trying to rebuild that community consensus that we, many of us grew up in in Black communities where every adult, you know, was a, a, a big mama or right. an auntie <laughs> or some, everyone cared about mm-hmm. who we were mm-hmm. and what we would do. So that's the kind of environment I grew up in and really shaped um, my career, what I got into, uh, the influences that and my parents who were ordinary people. Right. 
also were civil rights activists. Right. Now, let's talk about it. So that's that's certainty right there. That's that's a certainty. You, you, you explain a very, uh, you, you have eight to five children, loving husband. Then the uncertainty came into your life. Now, when uncertainty comes into your life, that's one of your critical steps that you talk about. Because yes. a lot of people aren't ready for that. Uncertainty can be getting fired. Uncertainty can be a relationship suddenly ending and you didn't expect it. A certainty can be a uh, uh, financial loss. A certainty can be COVID-19. That's a big uncertainty. A lot of people dealing with it. That's uncertainty, how you embrace it. The uncertainty in your life was the passing of your husband, correct? Yeah, and, and it happened uh, at a time where I was experiencing all these ups and downs and differences in life because I was in my 50s and 60s. And there's something about when you get to a half century, mm-hmm. right. <laughs> more than a half century of living, mm-hmm. you know, you, you experience all these different changes, everything from the gray hairs to the your body changing to the changing in relationships and mm-hmm. taking care of aging parents and seeing children go out and do their thing, which you want them to, but right. it does create these changes and what was I going to do for retirement? All mm-hmm. these things were going when both my parents and my husband got very sick. And I went into several years of caring for them. And then they all passed uh, pretty much during within months of each other. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. for the first time, uh, I was devastated. Right. Totally, you know, I was just grieved out. There was just nothing. I mean, these were people who I had never spent a day in my life without. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, I always had them. So total uncertainty, uh, dark days. Um, every day I was crying. Every day I didn't know what I was going mm-hmm. to do. Um, and even though I had been very successful in in my career and I had a 40-year marriage, a good marriage that was Mm -hmm. only ended by the cancer Mm -hmm. that took my husband away. Mm -hmm. Um, I was lost. Right. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what to do. And I was in my 60s. And so it was like I constantly said, well, my life's over. What am I going to do now? Right. And um, Rashawn, it was one of those times when one night I was looking through these obituaries of Mm -hmm. the three most important people ever in my life. And, you know, I was in my night nightly ritual of, you know, on my knees often crying, you know, woe is me. Right. Um, I looked and saw that dash, you know, Rashawn, that dash between the day you are born and the Mm -hmm. day you die. Right. And, And I, when I looked at that dash, I said, you know, that's what I remember about my mom and my dad and my sweetheart, my husband. Mm-hmm. That's what I remember. It's that dash. Mm-hmm. That's what life's about. Right. It's where the meaning takes place. Right. And what was I going to do about my dash? Was I just ready to give up? Mm-hmm. And that's really, Rashawn, as I began to look at it and think about it, I slowly started to get off my knees, <laughs> take a step out and get back in the world because I found some meaning. And that's when I began to discover what for me were the secrets of um, 
you know, living a vibrant life. Let, let's and, talk about let's talk about that that that, that yeah. old way woe is me lifestyle and mentality and coming out of that the little the little engine that could coming up that hill, you know, yeah. and then going over, you know, because what happens is when you're in that old woe is me, you have a lot of tragedy tragedy and strategy in your life, a lot of people don't know how to talk to you. They don't, they don't, they feel nervous by telling you to suck it up. Well, come on now. You have a lot of life to give. So you don't have a lot of people around you that, that, that can challenge you because they know you're in a, a state of sadness and they don't want to sound like they are, they, they are uh, uh, selfish by telling you, you can, you can move on. And so you saw the dash. What were mm -hmm. everybody else saying around you, the family members, your friends and all that good stuff? Yeah, everyone. And, and you know, when you're in that state, everyone is so supportive or they try to be right. Mm -hmm. They do tell you things like, you know, you, you've got a lot of life ahead of right. you, and, uh, move forward and, you know, get over and even get over it or it's time right. to mm -hmm. get over it. And, mm -hmm. you know, none of that helped me. Right. None of that. <laughs> and, you know, I don't believe there's a timeline for grief. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I just really don't. And mm -hmm. I had to discover me for me in right. myself. Right. And, and the first thing that and what I discovered for a secret for me that I discovered was I had to reconnect with my why. Mm -hmm. So my purpose, my raison d'etre, why am I here? You know, not about my husband and my parents and my children, and my grandchildren, and all the friends and family. Why me, Lord? Mm -hmm. Why me? Mm -hmm. You know, what is it that you have for me? Because I believe each of us has at least one unique gift or talent. Mm -hmm. And finding that gift or talent and understanding your purpose. And as I began to reflect and really go deep, Rashawn, I rediscovered my purpose. Right. <laughs> I right. re-found my why right. I'm living. And so that's one of the secrets, I think, to life at any age. Right. And that is knowing your purpose, knowing why you're here, why God put you here. Mm -hmm. What is it you supposed to do? And that's the thing that Helps get me up every morning, gets me excited. And to think about, you know, I'm fulfilling my meaning. And I rediscovered that, you know, God put me on this earth to inspire and teach. Right. And to help particularly women mm -hmm. over 50 who are in my same age category mm -hmm. to uh, rediscover themselves and figure out their next steps because we're not done yet. Right. And so rediscovering my why and my purpose really was the first big secret that uh, I discovered. Well, you know, the, the, I, I want to go back on that sadness thing. I, I don't think there is a timeline of sadness. You have to mm -hmm. learn how to just box it, put it in a box. Yes. And compartmentalize it because of the fact that, you know, I know when I, when I think about death, I think about my parents, I think about my sister, you know, I, I, I might think about it a year from now. I might think about mm -hmm. it on their birthday. I might think about it. So it's all right. What we're it's talking about right. is compartmentalizing it so it doesn't dominate your everyday life moving forward. So it doesn't stop you from meeting people, stop you from 
moving, stopping you from getting a job, stopping you from saying, you know something, I want to be happy. Hear me again, that I want to be happy. And That's so what right. happens is, it, and that's why I wanted to bring Dr. Geneva Williams on the show is that it's about, you know, this is how I speak. You know, I, I speak this way and I, I'm not trying to be younger than what I am. I'm just trying to be Rashawn McDonald. I don't worry about another birthday. I got to have a birthday to comp- accomplish my dreams. I don't lock myself to a certain age. I want to be 39 for the rest of my life. I want to be 59. No, I want to be whatever age God allows me to be on that year. He says my birthday because I got goals I got to put in place. And so when I saw a video of you, I said, this is my girl. I got to bring home my show because see she's not restricting the steps of opportunity tied to the age that she's assigned to that year that's a beautiful part of your personality where did that come from you know i I don't i i i think it came from my started with my parents because they were activist uh way into the 80s and 90s Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know my i started writing my book with my dad when he was 91 (laughs) (laughs) and we were to publish it together so Mm -hmm. you know i interviewed him about all the things he went through all his trials and tribulations the historic uh landmark civil rights case he won Mm -hmm. and took all the way to the supreme court new jersey Mm -hmm. and changed housing discrimination laws in new jersey forever and we talked about all of that we did that together right Mm -hmm. now he passed before the book was published Mm -hmm. um, but he did read the final manuscript and said it was good. But that was like 90s. And, and mm-hmm. my mom, I think, left in her late 80s. Mm-hmm. And But they always, but you know, Rashawn, it really wasn't about the chronological age. What it really was, was their mindset mm-hmm. and, and what they felt in their heart and their purpose. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that's what I discovered, that it really is about my purpose and my motivation and continuing to give, you know, those gifts. And that compartmentalization you talk about, I think is right on. For me, my compartment is my heart. Absolutely. So I keep, you know, those who have gone on um, mm-hmm. that, you know, meant so much to me in my heart. And so they'll always be there. So I'm not trying to get rid of them at all Absolutely. for those memories. Absolutely. They got to be in your heart. And you know what, Rashawn? We have to laugh about the good times. <laughs> and one of the things I do is I pull out the albums all mm-hmm. the time. I mm-hmm. consider myself an amateur photographer. So I have thousands of pictures. I ain't in none of them, okay? Because I'm always so busy taking them. But I'll pull out my albums and I'll laugh. Sometimes I'll cry, but I reflect and relive those good times, those moments, Rashawn. And that's why I think it's important to have those moments um, to live because we all are going to get out of here one day. Okay. Absolutely. And, and, I one hundred percent agree. What with you. we do while we're here, that dash. My friend, you you're not hitting you're not you're not swinging and missing on none of this interview right now. <laughs> Got me pumped up as usual. Because what when from a from a gender standpoint, I'm a man, you're a woman. Yes. And uh there are different rules in the play. And there are different yes. rules in play for African Americans. Okay. And so leadership, you know, you're an attractive woman. Some people can diminish your success because you're attractive, you know, and then that's the sad part about sexism. And, but in the end, 
if you have somebody who's 50, they're confused. They, you know, they, they don't, they look in the mirror. They don't like the way they see in the mirror. They don't like the people around them. What advice do you give for people who are stuck? Let's use the word stuck. Because a lot of people listening to this interview are stuck. We want to get yeah. them unstuck. Now, I'm going to tell you something. We are not, the only way you can pull yourself from an unstuck position, you have to want to make change. That's, That's right. the key. <laughs> if you don't want to make change, if you think this is the lottery, I'm sorry, but you got to want to make change. I just want to set that little that little qualifier before you get started. <laughs> you do. You, you're absolutely right. And you have to put sweat equity into what it is you want to do. You, you got to do that. OK. Yes. You know, uh, one of the things that I say to folk in terms of, of the secrets that I found is to make a plan. Mm-hmm. You got to have a game plan. Mm-hmm. What is it you're going to do with your life? Yes. You know, so, you know, let's assume you, 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 you know what your purpose is. You've discovered your why. You understand why you're here, what it is you want to do, what your talents are. OK, then what you're going to do with it? So that's making a plan. Mm-hmm. You know, whether you think it in your head or write it down, though, writing it down, you know, writing it down helps you see it and achieve it better. Mm-hmm. That's what all the research says. But I understand if you just want to keep it in your head and think about it. But mm-hmm. the best thing to do is figure out what your goals are, what it is. You know, you got this vision of your life that you want to be, which is first step. Figure mm-hmm. out what it is you want your life to be and then decide, well, how am I going to get there? So those are your goals. And then how am I going to reach those goals? That's your action steps. And then when am I going to do it? That's your timeline. Well, when you finish putting together a vision, a goals, some action steps and a timeline, you got yourself a plan and then do it. And so one of the things that I found is you got to have a plan and it's your plan. It's not your uncles or your aunts (laughs) or your spouses. It's your plan. Mm -hmm. And Come on, let's do it. Get that game plan together. Uh, you know, male, female, black, white, have a game plan. And that, you know, and it's your plan. And right. be willing to switch it up or change it if you need to. You know, if people say to me um, sometimes, well, I don't know what to do. You know, I don't feel I'm I'm really done anything. I'm stuck. <laughs> you know, that, that kind of thing. <laughs> One of the tips I give folk when they feel that way is to uh, make a list of your accomplishments. Mm -hmm. Rashawn, I don't care who you are. If you living and breathing, Mm -hmm. and if you listening to us have this conversation Mm -hmm. in your life, you've accomplished something, right? Probably a whole lot of somethings. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things, pull out that piece of paper and write down all of the things you've accomplished, all your successes, What have you done? When you sit back, I'm guaranteed you sit back and look at that list. You're going to say, but you know, know, uh, that's important what you're saying. But you know what I'm saying? Here's something that absolutely, you know what I'm saying? It's like in my life, you know, because a lot of people have qualifiers on success. You know, they 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 look at a LeBron James, and that might be successful to them. They you have to you know, look at your competition. I mean, when I was building Steve Harvey's uh, social media, I put his competition that that was close to him. I didn't go way up there; that was way away. I started close to him and started setting his goals in social media, and we started passing them as we went along the way. Now, if I had set his goal 
four or five million away instead of 50,000 away, then guess what? It would look seem insurmountable. And so when you start talking about goal setting, set goals that are reachable. That's right. I always talk about 90 day goals. I don't talk about years. Well, you know, that's why a lot of people don't go to college because they see here here four years. It just knocks them out. I'm a four years. I, I, I can't say commit to something like four years. That's why people go to trade schools. And I'm, mm-hmm. not, I'm not knocking that because they see a shorter turn turnaround. But always know, set a goal that you feel comfortable with and reaching. And that's what she's saying about planning. A lot of people plan success, but they don't plan it with a goal, a reachable goal. Right. And know that it's you I always treat it like a steps on a ladder. Each step yeah. gets you higher. Each step gets you higher. You don't want to jump steps on the ladder. You might fall off. <laughs> right. exactly exactly and so that's what uh, you know be have realistic goals smart right. goals goals that make sense that you can touch and reach and goals that you know that you've reached success when you've completed them yes there you, you know, go. sometimes we set these vague goals mm-hmm. and we don't really even know when we've reached them right and so i always tell folk when you're setting goals um, speak it in the present mm-hmm. and the now and speak it in positive terms. Like, you know, um, you know, I want to lose 50 pounds. Right. Okay. That's too vague. It really doesn't say much. Mm-hmm. It doesn't talk about when or what have you, but you can say rather sit stated in the positive terms. Mm-hmm. I am my ideal weight. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, it's a positive thing. So you've already put yourself in that future self. Right. That mm-hmm. you want to be. And you see yourself mm-hmm. that way. Right. Oh, I got to quit smoking. No, I'm a non smoker. Right. So you claim it and mm-hmm. say it for yourself mm-hmm. and then begin to write down the action steps that will make that statement. Possible. I'm a non smoker. True. Absolutely. I when I when I think about it, when people, especially on weight loss, I always tell people, just just pick a. a I want to lose a pound a week. That's mm-hmm. on you now. Like, see, if you lose a pound a week, at the end of the year, you lost fifty pounds. And so, but if you say I want to lose fifty pounds, that might oh, how I'm gonna do that? But just a pound okay. a week, a pound a week in your mind. That's we're, we're talking about a mindset. We're talking about how to relax your way into success. We're talking yeah. about not being overwhelmed by setting goals and planning things that feel unreachable because it came out of your mouth. That's it came right. out of your brain, <laughs> you know? which. Sean, is that an, another um, thing that I've learned um, through the years? Uh-huh. And that is that one of the ways to continually be able to create possibilities and live a vibrant life mm-hmm. at any age is to practice self-care. Yes. You know, too often, particularly for women. Mm-hmm. Um, we get so busy in life trying to be successful, trying to, you know, climb to the top, all of those things that we forget to take care of ourselves. And 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 not and I'm not talking about, you know, making sure you get a massage every week. Though that's good. Now, now that that'd be good, okay? That's if you can afford it, that's great. But you know, self-care is about 
so many different aspects of your life. It deals with Mm -hmm. your social care, your Mm -hmm. physical care, Mm -hmm. your psychological care, Mm -hmm. your mental, your emotional, Mm -hmm. even learning how to say no. Right is a good way to practice self-care so that, in fact, you're putting your needs, your priorities first. So practicing uh, taking care of yourself, loving yourself Mm -hmm. the way that you should, eliminating the negative self-talk. You know, we be, you know, talk, 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 (laughs) all these things kind of. Right. run around in our mind about mm-hmm. what we can't do, these limiting behaviors, you know, what we can't do, what we can't say, what we can't wear, what we shouldn't do, mm-hmm. you know, et cetera. By the time we finish, you'll be exhausted. Right. You know, so we need to reduce or eliminate the negative self-talk. And that's part of taking care of yourself, that self-care, that self-love, that particularly during these times, as times are tough, as we're in pandemic, as, you know, we're facing uncertainty, um, an uncertainty that is going to, the pandemic, Rashawn, is going to end. We'll move into something different, but uncertainty is going to be with us always. You know, life is about ups and downs. Right. That's what life is. Right. And so learning how to embrace mm-hmm. uncertainty, become a master of um, having yourself mm-hmm. developed, mm-hmm. Uh, learning the tricks and tips to decrease worry and stress and focus on your mm-hmm. goals. You know, those are things that we should develop. We should become masters of that mm-hmm. Pandemic or not, because it will always be something that's in our lives that we're not going to be 100% sure of. (laughs) Right, right, right. right. So, hey, let's become those masters Mm -hmm. of uh, being the best that we can be, being the most vibrant that we can be at any age. Cool. Thank you. She's a late, she's a late in life beautiful queen. I'm going to say beautiful queen. I am saying, I'm not going to say beauty queen, beautiful queen. She's a queen. She's an entrepreneur, online course creator. You know, the thing I love about you is that you don't let age stop you. And that's what I'm preaching now. I'm preaching that for even somebody 20 years old. Don't let age stop you. Don't tell somebody you're too young to accomplish that. 30 years old, 40 years old, 50. And when you hit 50 and 60, please stop it by saying that you can't accomplish your dreams because you're too old. That's the message that she delivers on a daily basis, Dr. Geneva Williams. And Dr. Geneva Williams, I want to thank you for coming on Money Making Conversation. Mm-hmm. I only have one request. Will you come back? Oh, I'd love to. <laughs> I'd love to. You know, one of the things that I said as I, um, you know, celebrated my 70th birthday mm-hmm. was I'm going to be doing only those things that give me joy. Mm-hmm. Having a conversation with you and all that you do to help other people brings me great joy. So it would be my pleasure to come <laughs> back and continue the conversation. Well, we, we're going we're to do this annually. OK, I'm going to lock this Love date it. down because I'm because uh, my birthday is in February. So you're going to be one of my February, my, my month I'm birthday. Like celebrate your birthday. OK, that's what, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> so my dean, we're going to stay in touch. If you ever have an event coming up that you need to get promoted, you can always count on me. Even okay. if it's in Michigan or any state area, you got a, 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 a you know seminar that you're doing. Please come yes. to me. I help thank promote you, it. Thank you. Thank okay. you. Thank you. In fact, I've got one coming up for AARP. They've asked me to help uh, their members 
learn how to do per, their, create their personal action plan for 2021. So I'll be doing that. It'll be a virtual event, and mm-hmm. I hope uh, you can be a part of it. I will. I'm there. You can come on now. I'm there for you, Doc. So let's make thank it happen. You. So I want to thank you again for coming on Money Making Conversations, okay? Thank you. We will be right back with more Money Making Conversations with your host, Rashawn McDonald. Hi, I'm Rashawn McDonald, the host of Money Making Conversation. The Cafe Mocha Swag Award is a celebration of black men who are making a difference in our community by empowering others to reach their life goals. From civic leaders, businessmen, activists, celebrities, and everyday dads, the Cafe Mocha Swag Award winner this week is... Dr. Sean Woodley, a graduate of Hampton University, Dr. Sean Woodley has dedicated his professional career to education. He is the architect behind the educator movement, Teach, Hustle, Inspire. He has written the best-selling book, MC Means Move the Class, How to Spark Engagement and Motivation to Urban and Culturally Diverse Classrooms. I firmly believe that education, it's a key that can unlock so many doors in so many different directions. We need to be sure that the bright young scholars in the four walls of these classrooms across this country are being exposed so that they have something to shoot for. And education can do that. The Cafe Mocha Swag Award represents men who have strength, whose wisdom is assertive and who is genuine in their spirit. Welcome back to Money Making Conversations with your host, Rashawn McDonald. My next guest is all about committed effort and all about reaching his own dreams. He is an inventor and a hard worker. He has dreamed up dozens of innovations and solutions to everyday problems for well over a decade. His endurance has yielded him an overnight success with acquiring investors. Now he has multiple ideas in various stages of production. He is the owner of a startup and has aspirations to reach into multimedia entertainment. Please welcome to Money Making Conversations out of Michigan. My man, Corey Wilcox. Hey, Corey. What's going on? Well, I brought you on the show, man, because, uh, you know, I, I'm a guy who's never, ever been able to understand the Rubik's Cube. And you come up with something similar in style called the Roto Brain, which is a three-dimensional type which enhances your memory, critical thinking skills, and would test your IQ. Well, you know, my IQ is pretty high. What would the roto brain do? And I'm not saying that out of ego. I got a math degree, my minor's in sociology, so I'm a logical person. But man, this roto brain looks like it's gonna complicate my mind. Am I just is my mind too old for, to to embrace something like this, or is this for a certain generational age? No, it's for it's for all generations. Uh, it's next level puzzle gaming. Mm-hmm. Um, is basically I took the idea uh, from. Uh, uh, Master combination lock. Right, and right. Combination mm-hmm. lock. Mm-hmm. I just figured, hey, why not just make something cool from it? And uh, I brought the, I took a Rubik's Cube and I took the Master Combination Lock and I kind of combined them together and said, hey, let's make this happen. Okay. Now, the Master's Combination Lock, you know, that's that, you know, you know, two this way, this way, this way, left to 13, 15 right, 13 left, 15, 26, and then it unlocks. That's, the way that works, but that's just a, a lock. Now you have all these colors that you have to align on the roto brain, correct? Similar to the Rubik's right. cube. So each each level has its own combination code, color combination code. Right. So as you go through the game, uh, the first combination code has about three hundred combination possibilities. The second, the second row has about ten thousand possibilities. Right. And the third row has about sixty thousand possibilities. 
So as you saw each row, it's a little knob at the top. You get the correct colors, correct three combination colors. Each level will pop up and say uh, level one complete, level two complete, level three complete. Once you get done with the game, you can actually take it apart and and reset it and start your own code and give it to your friend, family member, and you can say, hey, now you solve it. Or you can even, if you want to test yourself, you can reset the code and try to solve it again. Now, we said reset the code. What does that mean? Because I want you to slow it down. We're all on podcast and we're all on video. But just in case somebody <laughs> hears this on podcast, when you say the word reset the code, because we're talking about the Roto Brain. Let me explain to everybody what the Roto Brain is. It's a 3D puzzle similar to the Rubik's Cube. Well, you know, that enhances your memory because you got to remember where you place all these different colors to get them aligned. Critical thinking skills and will test your IQ. The benefits of this Roto Brain, it will enhance your thinking, improve your memory, your patience. That's my problem, patience. Problem solving <laughs> skills. <laughs> Keep your mind active and improve your speed, your finger dexterity and agility. Now, this is an awesome way, as you always say, uh, it's a conversation starter. Once you put it out on the table, when you're an adult and a, ki- a kid, you're going to pick it up, correct? Uh, actually, I can uh, I can take it down. Absolutely. Let's walk us through and this step now. We're on video. Okay. So I can take it down. I just want to show you. So you say it's, when you say how you reset it and why you reset it. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. You take it apart. Mm-hmm. It actually has gears that go around. So right. with these gears, is little knobs. You can actually set these knobs and it actually can set up the colors for you. And that's how you actually have the combination code where you can reset it and give it to friends and family. Right. So you can't... I, I love this already because you're saying, Rashawn, you can you can always change your challenge. Always. Okay. Challenge yourself. Challenge yourself. Okay, so now this goes back to the old, how did this start? What, which came first, the egg or the chicken? How did this whole <laughs> thing lay itself out? Because to me, I'm still... Confused, not in the fact in the fact that this is not a talented toy or a talented thinking uh, device. How you pulled it off? That's why I'm confused because you're stepping into another level of uh, in, being an inventor that really complicates my life, but also simplifies it because you were able to pull it off. That's why you are who you are, and that's why I'm interviewing you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, I, I can give the the the, the background of the rotor brain. Mm-hmm. is I was going through a very, very, very depressing time in my life because I've been in Benton for, for a very long time. Yes, sir. So I never really uh, got any success from, you know, showing companies different toys, different products. So I had this, this I was just in a deep, deep place in my life, deep, dark place in my life. And I had a conversation with God mm-hmm. and um, I sat there and prayed. I remember, I remember like it was yesterday, just like five years ago, I'm sitting in a dark room crying like crying like somebody punched me in my face or something right and i had a conversation with god and i said you know god if you can give me something that impact and change the world i tell everybody that you did it right and that's what happened then i had the, the that night i had a dream the roller brain was kind of floating in my face in my dream i woke and i grabbed it and when i grabbed it i woke up and i remember I, uh, I bumped my wife and i said hey i think god just showed me something she was like man i don't care about that we gotta pay bills man you talk about toys and, <laughs> yes, uh, yes yes so I, I sketched it up drew it up and i came up with the rotor brain and it was a uh, you no know, awesome experience now that's that now we all know about patents because how did that work out how do you go through the patent process did you hire a lawyer did you do it yourself how did the patent process work for you because you see a lot of people on tv call us for 1999 bring us your inventor inventor <laughs> help did you go to inventor help 
No, 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 no. So what you can do, what people don't know, is as long as if you make under $150,000 a year, you can actually do a provisional patent for $65. So you do a provisional patent for $65, it actually holds the patent for a year. So you can actually take that provisional patent, take it to a company and say, look, I got a patent on it. They don't really know. They just know it's a patent. You can say, look, I got a toy. I got a patent. Let's talk business. Right. So, okay, now, but so... That sounds simple, but you had to lay this design out. You just couldn't put it in just description. You had to have to have some pictures and some some something some semblance of of a design. Correct. Correct. So what I what I normally do for how I license a product is here's the, the I saw the, the cheap man's way. Right. You can always go to Fiverr, right, and you can find somebody on Fiverr from another country, have them sketch this up. For like five or ten dollars, have them sketch it up for you. We call it sales sheets. Mm-hmm. You put the, uh, you get the product looking good on the sales sheet. You can get Photoshop. You can have it looking like it's in Walmart. All this good stuff to impress the company mm-hmm. to make them want to do business with you. You can uh, once you put the sales sheet together, you submit it to different companies. Ask different companies, hey, I'm I'm a product developer. I developed this cool product. Can you take a look at it? And if they decide to go with you, you can get a licensing deal. And based on how they, their company is and their contract, they can give you whatever contract they want, the percentage. Right. So now you have the idea. Your wife and told you to get out of bed because she ain't got time for all these toys. We got bills to pay. God <laughs> gave you this vision. So you sketched it out. And then you got this company that works on the cheap. But that's how foreign labor is sometimes to set right. you up and draw and sketch everything out and put it in a professional plan. Then you were able to file that because you make it under $150,000 for $65 that will hold that for a year. Correct. Correct. OK, cool. So now I see this is on Amazon. Because I, I did my little research, you know. In fact, you go, you Google this, a nice description pops up about your toy. How long has it been out and has, has the sales met your expectations? Uh, so it, it took it took about five years to actually make it because the technology didn't exist. So it, we had to find an engineering company to actually prototype it and make it and that that's what took so long the toy actually just came out in september right um and the, the sales and the response has been pretty good mm-hmm. uh, we've been getting a lot of response from different different people different groups um and it's, it's been pretty it's been pretty good because it's not only in amazon it's on walmart and a couple of different stores around the world well you know i have you ever heard of uh the, this restaurant called cracker barrel yes okay cracker barrel you know they got that little game you go in there with the little sticks you know, you, 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 it's almost like tic-tac-toe, but it's not tic-tac-toe. Man, <laughs> man, it'd be great if they if you went to them and, and convinced them to replace that little game that I never play with your <laughs> with your roto brain because it's just slick. Because, you know, it's one of those things you put out there and, you know, people can compete with each other. I'm just, I'm just this is, I'm a marketing person. I, I know how to brand and get ideas out there. All I know is that at Cracker Barrel, which I love, they, uh, they had a pecan pancake. That's my thing. I go in for the pecan pancakes and the free. No, I'm, I'm not a fan of Cracker Barrel, man. They, they food kind of nasty. Oh, see, see, you can't have, see right there. <laughs> see, how you going to get out there? See, you know, I'm not a fan. I can't go in there. Hey, Cracker Barrel food nasty. I'm talking about the product of getting your stuff in there. That's what I'm talking about. If you know what I'm talking about is that, you know, these different restaurants and they're different brands and you diversity. You're diverse. Okay. And so, like if you go to Denny's, Denny's got those little drawings with their little kids and they, they they give them crayons and things like that so they can keep them busy. I'm just saying is that your product 
It's so interesting and so entertaining. That's a good way of getting it out into the marketplace and start gaining interest out there. Unless you have another marketing plan that you want to reveal to me on the show that you that's just going to make your product just go to the next level like Rupert's Cube. Oh, yeah. So the company that, that actually licensed the, the, the Roller brand and we're working together as a partnership. Right. Uh, they kind of they got things set up. Um, I know it's a it's a reality series that's in Canada that's actually supposed to be featuring the world of brain and, and a little competition and things like that. So, no, we, we, we got a plan and this is working pretty good. And, you know, it takes some time too, because this is a new product. Right. And people are so used to the uh, Rubik's cube that right. it's kind of, it's kind of hard to, to, to break that market because everybody is so used to Rubik's cube. Rubik's cube been out for what? 40s, 40 yeah, some really. plus years. 40 it's plus been out for years. a long time. So we kind of, that's our biggest competition. Right. It's Rubik's Cube. So we got to take all those people and bring them over to us. Let me ask you this now. You know that's your competition. It's just like McDonald's. You know, McDonald's has a hamburger. Burger King has a hamburger. And then Chick-fil-A came out with a chicken sandwich. And then Popeye's came out with their chicken sandwich. So that's all competition. And what, what, what do you believe that's different from your brand that you need to tell people about so they can either start playing your your, your roto brain or they just say, man, this this way better than Rubik's Cube. Let's go do this. <laughs> uh, the, the biggest thing I tell tell the company is is social media. Right. Uh, social media is the biggest platform, YouTube, Instagram. Uh, that's where we're trying to build the market at right now to, to gain the followers. Uh, to to expand the brand. Um, right now, it's just kind of word of mouth, and you know, I'm I'm fighting back and forth with the company, trying to get them to expand and do some different things. But they kind of got the the lock and key with it with, with how they want to do the marketing. Right. So, with that being said, so have you guys started any online contests yet about the Roto Brain contest? Right now, that's what I was talking about with the reality series that's in Canada right now. They're doing some type of setup right now where they're trying to broadcast it like that, where it's going to be a competition to, mm-hmm. to bring in more people, to bring in more views mm-hmm. and have more eyes on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, so so right now, this company and how did their relationship with the company start? Just to list the other entrepreneurs who have ideas. And like I said, you know, when you you know, everybody wants their product to just blow out, just blow up. Okay. Right. Now, but you want to have a person that believes in it. And so this was an investor. The company came in. They believed in your product, the Roto Brain. And the Roto Brain is like a Rubik's Cube type product where, like the Rubik's Cube, it enhances your memory, critical thinking, and will test your IQ. That's the value of the Rubik's Cube. The, the value of the Roto Brain is that you can keep changing your codes. So you're not trapped at the same Rubik's Cube. So once you master a Rubik's Cube, it's mastered. Okay. Right. The Roto Brain, it can keep, you can change the code. And guess what? You master that code, change the code to another code. That's the right. beauty of the Roto Brain. Have I figured it out yet? Yes, sir. Never, <laughs> stop playing. Non stop fun. Right. And so, with that being said, what's the next step for you, man? I know you're not tied to just one, uh, one, one invention. You got a lot of startups going on. Tell us about the yes, future, Corey. Uh, I'm also an author, too. Mm-hmm. I wrote a book based on some past experiences with my mm-hmm. son's mother. Mm-hmm. It's called Baby Mama Drama. <laughs> Baby Mama <laughs> Drama. And um, it's not a book that's degrading women or anything like that. It's, well, you know, it's just a book I'm gonna just tell you that discusses the core. issues hey, I core. went through. Core. First of all, yeah. Baby Mama Drama, that title right there, you got me <laughs> chuckling right there. Okay, so so know that you and Jump from 
enhancing your memory, memory, critical thinking, and testing your IQ to baby mama drama. You know, that's like here and there. Okay. So now this is a brand conversation now. Okay. I, I understand it's a, it's a personal journey. So how can a guy be talking about Rubik's Cube type design styling in the roto brain and then turn around and say, I'm also the author of baby mama drama. <laughs> Uh, it, it was something that, uh, you know, I, I followed Dr. Miles Monroe, the late, great Dr. Miles Monroe. And he always said, with, with anything, anytime something bothers you, you're the only person that's bothered by it. And that's God telling you you should do something about it. I right. always wanted to write a book, even while I was inventing and creating stuff and trying to license products. I always was a, a writer and an author, too. So it was kind of. It just was time for me to put the book out and put the toy out. It's happened to come out at the same time. <laughs> so you got the mamas mad at you and confused kids with your Rubik. <laughs> <laughs> so, so tell us about the book, man. You know, you brought it up, baby mama drama. You know, I saw it. It's right over your head right there. I was just going to talk about the Roto brain, but you ain't brought up the baby mama drama book. Tell Ooh. us, okay, okay, how long was this book in the writing and who helped you write it? <laughs> Uh, me, my wife is a, a writer too. She's okay, an cool. author too. So, mm-hmm. you know, she helped me, you know, with the time to write the book and mm-hmm. we sat down, went through some, some past experiences and we, 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 we chopped it up and we, we dropped the book out and, and it's out here, man. <laughs> now, how are you promoting it? Because I'm assuming this came out and you, 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 you finished writing it and during the pandemic year, which is 2020. And it did it come out this fall? And what is your promotional plan for that? And what message are you trying to create? And who, what, it's called Baby Mama Drama. Is that a book that's going to be to buy men for men to read? Or women can find interest and information out of it for them to be uplifted from? About it's, it's a book, it's a book for both men and women. It's not a book, like I said, that does, that degrades women. It's actually just a book. Like to me, and what I believe is guys never had the opportunity to, to have anybody to talk to about situations with their kid's mother, whether it's good or bad. It just always, like we were always told, hey, just take care of your kids. Right. So we never had nobody to talk to, no outlet. Um, so when I wrote the book, it's just some personal experiences that just my struggles and my opinions on how you can deal with the situation. Right. Now, with that being said, did they all in positive for you? Are you still struggling with the baby mama drama situation? No, no. So my son, my son is is fourteen right now. Right. Mm-hmm. In the beginning, like I said, the books, the how the book is written in the beginning, of course, is all bad. But as you grow and you learn, you know, the situation gets better. So, and that's a lot of things, and that's that's what the book is about: is helping guys in those situations that are in bad situations to help them learn how to deal with them, so they don't go, you know, to the uh, or, or get worse. You know, get to extreme. Give us an example of what you're talking about from your book. An extreme, an example of guys being guided by your book that can follow some advice that won't let them step off the the ledge and do something stupid or react to something stupid and embarrass themselves in front of their child or create a relationship where they walk away from their child. All right, so uh, it's a chapter in my book that I call uh, it's called barriers or mm-hmm. setting barriers. Mm-hmm. So like. Uh, in this in this chapter, it talks about how my my kids' mother used to call me just random times and talk about random stuff all different times of the night, you know. And it was it because she wanted a relationship with you, that right there, to say, "Hey, you got to you got to learn how to tell her no." 
Right. Tell her, look, you only can call me at this time. Right. Because you have to set barriers. Like if you if you're married, have a girlfriend and somebody call you in the middle of the night, that can cause confusion in your house. Absolutely. So I was teaching guys, hey, learn how to talk to her uh-huh. in a professional, nice, courteous way. So, you know, it won't be no bickering. Right. And learn and grow from that. So she was still tying up your time like y'all was still yeah. in a relationship. So. Yeah. So midnight phone calls at night. Yeah. Hey, the pipe boat broke. Oh, hey, I need some uh, food. Hey, the grass need cutting. Hey, the plumbing ain't working. Hey, the lights ain't on. Hey, I got a flat tie. Hey, right, ain't or, no food in the refrigerator. All that mess, <laughs> all that madness, right? Or, or calling, yelling, uh, being mad at my son. This boy up two o'clock in the morning playing video games. And I'm like, but you, you, you stay with you. Right. So maybe right. you should. Tell them to go to bed. <laughs> right, right, right. But you know that I can understand the calling about that because sometimes you gotta you gotta step up the volume and men have a different but that's why it's important to have to keep that parental structure. You know, that's why it's important that, you know, if two if two people made that child, two people should raise that child. And that Correct. situation is that I'm not mad, you know, because I have a daughter and uh, my wife sometimes, my daughter, she goes, I can't, I can't, I can't get through her. I can't get through to her. Talk to her. I go. And I go and I, and I just say, what's wrong, baby? Would you not listen to your mama today? <laughs> <laughs> what, what's going on here? Your mama downstairs, you know, she's on fire because you won't get up out of this room and do what she asks you to do. What, what's going on? And so it's just that's a different conversation I have with my son. There you go. That's what I'm saying. That's, that's, all, your, that's all your ex-wife is telling you. Look. Some things because my I would because I, I speak things out. My wife she wants immediate reaction, you know, and I and I would explain to you what I want you to do. That's what I, that's the difference between my wife and I when it comes to our child. I go I, I go to I go to my daughter and say, look, I need you to go downstairs, and this is why I need you to go downstairs. My wife would go, I need you to come downstairs and wash the dishes. Okay, <laughs> as a parent you can do that. Okay, but I go look, hey babe, okay, you enjoy eating in the house, right? Yes, daddy. Okay, cool. When you eat in the house, there are certain things that need to be done to continue eating in the house. Yes, daddy. That means you have to wash the dishes. You understand the logic right now, baby, don't you? Yes, daddy. Then she goes downstairs. See, that's a that's a conversation that she understands because if she doesn't, if she don't wash them dishes, guess what's gonna happen there, Corey? She gonna stop eating in my house. See, she got that. <laughs> You got, you got to make it make sense, man. That's what I tell my son. Make it make sense. Man. Absolutely. Get straight so, to the point. Make that, it make sense. I just go downstairs and wash the dishes. My daughter all up in fire. She going to keep playing that video game. I got schoolwork. Hey, okay, cool. Guess what? <laughs> if daddy don't pay for the schoolwork to be paid at the school, guess who going to stop going to school? Me, daddy. Absolutely. I think you need to wash those dishes. Just to extend right. the conversation. So in the book, so the book, Baby Mama Drama, there was there was a co-authored, I want to say, by your, by your wife. What is the, what is, are you, are you, I know it's COVID-19 and you can't do any book tours or are you doing any, any, any virtual tours or anything like that? What are you doing to market the book? Uh, right now I just, I do a lot of marketing, a lot of, you know, social media, I do a lot of live videos, but right. Uh, right. with, like you said, with the how COVID is and how COVID got everything locked up, it's, it's really mm-hmm. nothing. <laughs> you can do. Right. Well, you know, the thing about it is that I, I like the, I, I'll be honest with you, title doesn't really tell you the, the true, because baby mama drama, it, uh, it, it does sound negative. Okay. I'm just be honest with you. But what you're talking about is real positive. It's about communication. Right. And also, I like what you're talking about is the fact that co-parenting the right way. 
and like you said, setting barriers. So, so send me a copy of that book, man, so I can read it. And I and I bring it back on the show when I know what's going on, so I can because I read all books that I, when people come on my show, I read their book. Okay, so send okay. a copy of your book to me so I can bring you on back on the show reading this book. Okay, what I'm gonna do with in this interview, I'm just gonna just do the interview on the Roto Brain, and then I'm gonna cut this part out and I'm gonna bring you back on the show about your book. Is that cool? Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah, because I don't like to. The, 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 my staff know I, I read books, you know, and I like to be in tune and be able to help you get to your message so it can be sold to the general public, and that will be only favorable to that. I didn't expect to talk about it during this interview because I was just talking about the Roto Brain because I would never interview you about a book I've never read. That's not fair to you, okay? Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Cool. So, uh, so tell us how to buy this Roto Brain, sir. <laughs> So yeah, man, the Roto Brain, man, is, is this next level game, and man, next level fun. Um, I think it's gonna blow any puzzle toy out the water. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm, I love it. It's the best thing I ever created, man. Um, I got to get guy his credit. Yes, sir. If it wasn't for him, then this thing would never been uh, in existence. Um, I always tell people I borrowed it from God, right. prayed and asked him for, it, and then he right. let me borrow it. So I'm, I'm showing the world. What's your What's your education background on this? Uh? That was that led you to this. Is it, you know, did you go to college or what? What's your background technically? No, see, and that's that's the thing. My my gift was was always creativity. Yes, sir. You, as a kid, as a youth growing up, I was that kid, right? Mm-hmm. So my mom used to buy me Christmas toys, mm-hmm. right? I don't care what she bought me, I always took it apart. Right. <laughs> I mean, I just told her myself. She don't even know this, but I just right. I'm grown now. But mom, sorry, but uh, all the toys she ever bought me, I always took them apart. I was always interested. In the way toys worked. Mm-hmm. Um, so my gift has always been creativity and inventing. My background in education was uh, applied science, mm-hmm. but you know this has nothing to do with science. This is right. all this engineering and, uh, and 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 mechanics, I guess. Well, it's, it's, a, it's a it's a fun movie that's on Netflix right now. I don't know if you called it called a uh, Jingle Jangle, the Christmas story, yeah. Christmas journey. Uh, it's about a black inventor. You know, if you hadn't watched it, please watch it. You're going to get a big kick out of it. It just kind of reminds me of you, a talented young man who has skills and uh, and, and changing, is going to change the world. There's no doubt in my mind that you're going to be successful at what you do. There's no doubt in my mind that this is a fantastic uh, toy that you've created. We call it a toy, but it's beyond being a toy. It's, it's a, it's a, it's, it enhances your memory, enhances your critical thinking, which is good for anything. I remember when I was in the band, by being in the band, it always helped my memory by being playing an instrument. And I feel that by playing their toy, it can help your memory, your decision makers, your decision maker, and more importantly, it can test your IQ and get it up there. And that's what we're all trying to do nowadays, especially within the black community. But this toy is not strictly for the black community. It's for the community in general. And I want to thank you for coming on my show, Corey. Uh, I appreciate it. And I appreciate you having me. Well, guess what? We're going to come back because we're going to get that book out here and I'm going to read it. And then we're going to first in January, we're going to change some lives in the first quarter. Is that all right with you? Sound like a plan to me. All right. Thank you, man. Be, and, uh, stay uh, stay warm if you can in Wayne, Michigan. <laughs> it's cold, man. I don't know that. You got to tell me. I know, I, I've been up there when it's been cold. Okay. You just, you just, it's a, cold. It's like you snowing just, today, man. <laughs> you, just, you just a water throw from uh, Canada. So I know exactly where you at. <laughs> but uh, thank you for coming on the show, okay? No problem. I appreciate it. If you want to hear more money making conversation interviews, interviews, please. If you want to hear more money making conversation interviews, please go to moneymakingconversation.com. I'm Rashawn McDonald. I'm your host. Thank you.